2: Russia proposes to send energy to Germany, and Germany rejects it.
3: They will need additional help to deal with the winter crisis. Newly released
2: emails show DHS Secretary Mayorkas' new Border Patrol whipping allegations were false.
1: I said, why don't we go and tell the story of what's happening on the American southern border?
2: The producer price index rises four-tenths of one percent. ...and could put more upward pressure on inflation.
3: Last month, the PPI was 8.7%. We were hoping to see 8.4%, and instead we got 8.5%, which was a bit higher.
2: This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories. For Thursday, October 13th, I'm Mike Scott. On Wednesday, Russian President Vladimir Putin suggested that Moscow would resume gas supplies to Europe through a link of the Germany-bound Nord Stream 2 pipeline, but the offer was rejected by Berlin. German officials released a statement saying, in part, that energy supplies through Nord Stream 1 have been a gambit and that it would be doubtful Nord Stream 2 would be more reliable. This comes as Germany agreed to jointly buy gas along with other countries in order to combat the rising energy crisis in Europe.
3: The idea here, however, is that you could see European institutions tap markets that is triple A rated and then get the funding and distribute that to member states that are now crystal clear they will need additional help to deal with the winter crisis. The core issue, and this is fundamentally the thinking behind this, is that if you tap the market as EU27, you will get a better funding rate than you would if you're, let's say, a peripheral country going out to the markets by yourself. So that's where the debate is at. But I should note, however, this is something that that would have to be presumably agreed by the EU-27 unanimously. And it's clear that we're not there yet. We just uh, played an interview with the Dutch finance minister, which she said it very openly she does not see the need for new tools to deal with this crisis.
2: Meantime, in Ukraine, a report has surfaced that suggests over 90,000 Russian soldiers have died, cannot be accounted for, or have suffered such serious injuries that they are unable to return to service. The figures suggested in that report seems to roughly align with intel the Pentagon has been receiving, which stated that around 70 to 80,000 Russian soldiers had been killed or had been seriously injured since the beginning of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The report surfaced as Russia continued its renewed bombardment, of Ukraine. The Ukrainians are continuing to make headway in the south and in the east, but we are seeing more attacks on civilians by the Russians. You know, there was an attack on a market in the eastern town of Avdivka, killing at least seven. You know, the strike uh, took place at a busy time, which is something we saw on Monday, too. These peak hour attacks for maximum impact, shelling in Nikopol, too, severely injuring several people, including Kira, a six year old girl. You know, two mm. kindergartens, a school were among those attacks. So, you know, Ukrainians say these civilian attacks show that Putin's position has been weakened. Speaking to the Ukraine defense contact group, defense secretary Lloyd Austin says Vladimir Putin assumed Ukraine and the world would simply roll over as he invaded a sovereign country. Russia's latest assaults have only deepened the determination of the Ukrainian people and further united countries of goodwill from every region on Earth. Austin says Putin's moves continue to backfire. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to see how mistaken those, all those assumptions were, well, just look at the battlefield today and just look around this room. Former Allied Supreme Commander of NATO James Stavridis joined the Salem radio network and said despite Vladimir Putin's nuclear saber-rattling, it's unlikely he would use a tactical nuclear weapon in Ukraine.
4: They're hard to use on a battlefield. Um, It would be difficult to target because the Ukrainians are on a very broad military front. Could use it to take out a major city, I suppose, Um, but it it doesn't really help him tactically.
2: Stavridis says it's doubtful Vladimir Putin would resort to the use of tactical nuclear weapons and anger Europe over interventions in Ukraine.
4: It causes the world to turn, I think, in a very unified way to include China and India against him. Um, and he can achieve a lot of those effects using massive dumb-bomb air attacks.
2: The anti-government protests continue in Iran for a fourth week as tens of thousands of Iranians living abroad have marched on the streets of Europe, North America, and beyond in support of what many believe to be a watershed moment for their home country. Ali Velez with the International Crisis Group says the wall of fear in Iran has been destroyed as protesters have nothing left to lose and therefore are more willing to protest.
4: There is just so much anger and frustration in the country uh, that it's uh, hard to imagine uh, that uh, uh, the current generation of protesters in Iran would be cowed uh, just by uh, the system resorting to its traditional uh, iron fists uh, in trying to put down protests Vala
2: says the Iranian regime has not taken out its biggest weapons yet
4: it has mostly used uh, sorry it has mostly used uh, anti riot police uh, in the past uh, few weeks uh, it has not yet deployed the revolutionary guards uh, and so it still has. a lot of repressive tools uh, up its sleeve that it can use uh, against the movement.
2: Turning to the ongoing battle over the southern border, according to newly released emails, the Department of Homeland Security's Secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas, was aware that the media narrative that Border Patrol agents whipped a group of Haitian migrants was false. The report suggests that one of Mayorkas' staffers sent him an email hours before a press conference at the White House where the DHS secretary declared the incident involving Haitians horrific. The staffer referenced the account of the photographer who took the viral photography and said the salacious account of what happened was false. However, instead of using the information to correct the media, Mayorkas instead suggested the incident required an investigation. Meantime, the Treasury Department is looking into Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' use of federal funds in order to facilitate flights of migrants to sanctuary states, as some are alleging the Republican governor has done, improperly using, they say, money connected to COVID-19 aid.
5: It all started with this letter written by members of the congressional delegation from Massachusetts, where they asked the Treasury Department to investigate Florida and take all necessary action, including potentially rescinding any misuse funds to stop this abuse of coronavirus relief programs. We already know Florida Governor Ron DeSantis had access to $12 million, part of a program approved by the state legislature to transport undocumented people out of florida the money is said to have come from the interest earnings associated with federal funding for covid 19 recovery it was last month when the governor used part of that money to transport about 50 migrants mostly venezuelans by plane from texas to martha's vineyard the outrage put the governor on the national stage critics called it a political stunt but the governor argues it brings attention to an out-of-control migrant problem at the southern border. Now, this, a response from the Deputy Inspector General of the Treasury Department, who works independently and says his office has audit work planned and have already sought information from Florida related to immigration activities. Massachusetts Senator Ed Markey says he hopes the investigation sheds light on whether the governor misused funds intended for COVID relief for Floridians. Attorneys representing the migrants say they welcome the investigation and that the governor violated the rights of vulnerable migrants.
2: DeSantis's office has released a statement in response to the allegations.
1: What the governor's office is saying, quote, weeks ago, the Office of Policy and Budget spoke with the U.S. Department of Treasury's Office of the Inspector General about using interest gained from the state and local fiscal recovery funds program to transport illegal immigrants voluntarily to sanctuary jurisdictions. That office articulated to Treasury's OIG that our use of this interest, as appropriated by the Florida legislature, is permissible. So essentially, the governor's office saying that it talked to the Treasury Department's OIG recently... Few weeks ago, they say and said, "Look, uh, either we've done this or we're doing this." And according to Florida law, it is permissible. This comes
2: as the Salem Radio Network's Charlie Kirk, host of the Charlie Kirk Show, announced he has produced a docu series called "Border Battle," which is a deep dive into the truth as to what's going on at the southern border.
1: This is not a political docu series. It's all about education and it's about telling people really what's happening on the southern border so I live in a border state Arizona I live in Scottsdale and every single day we see uh, something negative something awful that is because of our porous and open southern border drugs crime homelessness vagrancy uh, you know overpopulated schools and you know people in the local community even living in Arizona would say you know what's really going on on the southern border
2: Kirk goes on to say that it's his film that shows how bad things really are at the border.
1: I said, "Why don't we go and tell the story of what's happening on the American southern border wherever the facts may lead us." Kind of doing what the media should be doing, Mike, and just <laughs> going out and looking at, you know, the carnage and looking at the crime and looking at the drugs. And so we really embedded ourselves with Border Patrol. We embedded ourselves with Sheriff Mark Lamb for weeks, for months. We sent an entire film crew there to find out exactly what's happening, you know, on the southern border. And, you know, it, it is so eye opening. You, you saw it, Mike. It's incredible. Uh, when you actually see firsthand, you know, two things how bad it actually is and how fixable it is. And so I really encourage your audience to go to salemnow.com to check out Border Battle. They can use promo code Kirk or Gallagher or whatever. I don't, I don't really care. And check it out. It's uh, all produced by Turning Point USA, our nonprofit. Again, You know, some people will try to politicize this. That's fine. Obviously, we're going to do that at the event. But this is bigger than politics.
2: The Biden administration is developing a parallel program for illegal immigrants. Daybreak Insider's Tasha Stevens has more on this developing story from Capitol Hill.
4: The Biden administration is developing plans for Venezuelans with sponsors to be granted parole to enter the United States, similar to how Ukrainians have been admitted after Russia's invasion. The plans being designed to deal with Venezuelans suddenly becoming the second largest nationality at the U.S. border after Mexicans. Two officials say Mexico may accept Venezuelans who cross the U.S. border illegally and are expelled under a rule designed to prevent the spread of COVID. Tasha Stevens reporting. On Wednesday, the
2: Producer Price Index was released. The numbers show that prices paid to U.S. producers rose in September more than expected. Experts say that the numbers suggest that inflationary pressures will take time to moderate and keep the Federal Reserve on its aggressive interest rate hike path. News Nation's business contributor Lydia Moynihan says the number for the index is historically high.
3: The big picture here is that inflation is decelerating but just not as quickly as we would like to see. Now the the PPI, the producer price index is basically an indication of what manufacturers and wholesalers are getting. I mean it's it's interesting, you know, a few years ago I don't think anyone even knew what the PPI was and now it's the data point of the day that everyone is laser focused on. Now, we were expecting to see uh, a decrease from last month. Last month, the PPI was 8.7%. We were hoping to see 8.4%, and instead we got 8.5%, which was a bit higher. Nowhere near that high watermark we saw earlier this year in March of 11.7% year over year, but still a very historically high uh, number. So
2: Moynihan goes on to say that the real number to be concerned about is the Consumer Price Index, which is expected to be released later today.
3: The reason we are caring so much about this PPI, which maybe we hadn't even heard of a few weeks ago, is that it's basically an indication and a clue as to what the Federal Reserve is going to be doing. And the big picture here is that everyone is alarmed the Federal Reserve is gonna continue to hike rates at a very high pace to address inflation. So anytime this number comes in hotter than expected, it kind of sets off alarm bells in the economy. Um, Now, this is the biggest data point of the day, but the biggest data point of the week is that CPI, the Consumer Price Index, and that is what we are going to be paying close attention to tomorrow. Now, stocks are pretty flat because this is somewhat in line with what we expected to see. Um, But again, I think everyone's just holding their breath until tomorrow when we get that CPI.
0: And finally, what is this thing? It's an asteroid, sir How big are we talking?
4: Sir, our best estimate is 97.6 billion It's the size of Texas, Mr. President Uh, Yes, sir
0: Dan, we didn't see this thing coming
4: Well, our object collision budget's
0: a million dollars That allows us to track about 3% of the sky Is this going to hit us? We're efforting that as we speak, sir What kind of damage are we... Damage? Total, sir It's what we call a global killer the end of mankind, doesn't matter where it hits, nothing would survive, not even bacteria.
2: NASA has succeeded in changing the orbit of an asteroid by crashing its double asteroid redirection test spacecraft, or DART, into dimorphous in order to test its effectiveness in protecting Earth from a dangerous body on a collision course with our planet. From 7 million
4: miles away, photographic proof that NASA's DART mission worked. That exploding cloud of dirt and rock, the moment the refrigerator-sized spacecraft slammed into an asteroid named Dimorphos, orbiting an even bigger asteroid. The impact gave Dimorphos a big shove, dramatically shortening its orbit even more than NASA had hoped. It was expected to be a huge success if it only slowed the orbit by about 10 minutes but it actually slowed it by 32 minutes. Traveling at 14,000 miles per hour, DART's nose camera caught the final seconds before impact. While the asteroid poses no risk to us, NASA is hoping it can one day use the same technique to divert a massive meteor on a collision course with Earth. A so-called planet killer, like the one that killed off the dinosaurs 65 million years ago.
3: Warning time is really key here in order to enable this sort of asteroid deflection to potentially be used in the future. NASA says it's not tracking any
4: asteroid known to pose an imminent threat to Earth, but there may be others it doesn't see. Ideally, scientists would have decades of warning to use a similar deflection technique and save humanity. All of us have a responsibility to protect our home planet. After all, it's the only one we have. This was
2: only a test of a potential defense method called deflection by kinetic impactor. The space rock dimorphous doesn't really pose an actual threat to Earth, but there are plenty of space rocks and comets out there yet to be discovered or tracked by astronomers. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com.